0: You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 555, John Morton's 10% on Amazon Prime, God Save the Queen and Brian Ferry, and audiences demolishing the fourth wall. That's all coming up after Paul Weller and Thinking of You. Let
1: me tell you about my love. To me by an angel from above fully equipped with a lifetime guarantee once you try it well I'm sure that you'll agree without love there's no reason to live without you what would I do with the love I give all my love to you I'll be giving and I promise as long as I'm living I'm thinking of you and the things you do to me that make me love you now I'm living in ecstasy I'm thinking of you and the things you do to me that make me love you now I'm living in ecstasy (laughs) i <laughs>
2: I love this album so much. Paul Weller is magnificent when interpreting songs from other mm. artists. This is from an album of covers called Studio 150 as a single uh, reached number 18 in the UK from 2004. Paul Weller and Thinking of You.
3: That is lovely. I love that song anyway. The original by Sister Sledge was a big song for me during the first lockdown. I thought it was just so lovely. It had a real calm to it that I really needed and lovely message beneath it. I cannot believe how many excellent records that Paul Weller has released to the point where I just forget whole albums that he's released because he's released so many that are great. And also that that was 2004. He just keeps, just keeps releasing records and I lose track of time. That's fantastic. I, I'm a big fan of Paul Weller interpreting other people songs as you rightly say
2: he should be knighted yes Um, sir paul (laughs) the second (laughs) yeah welcome to the parish council it's episode 555 how does this
3: keep happening all the fives indeed
2: i'm terence Stackham. now let's check her out on the big question of the week i know everybody's wondering does she know who lorraine kelly is it's Juliet
3: Harris. <laughs> well, according to the court, the, the one of the high courts that judged on her tax affairs some time ago, Lorraine yes. Kelly is playing the character of Lorraine Kelly. Yes. So who knows if? Uh, I mean, I have to say, I had a, I had a brief. moment I have been past Lorraine Kelly's studio. I can, I can drop yes. that story then because it was where we filmed. We filmed Eggheads in the BBC oh, film yes. block, and uh, and and we saw a, a Lorraine. Lorraine, a sign for Lorraine, sign for Loose Women, and we were warned that we when we went to used the toilets we had to make sure we got the right door and didn't turn right too many times because otherwise we would end up on the set of this morning as <laughs> other people had done before us so right. so i am aware and an admirer of lorraine kelly's work also enjoy her twitter uh, contributions she is unexpectedly a big fan of mogwai which i very much enjoy okay, so yes, yeah, okay. big fan of lorraine kelly big fan of being back here with sir terence and a big fan of you all for listening good morning
2: By the way, I I mean, there's plenty of things to... Attach responsibility to Boris Johnson for plenty of things to blame him for. Yes. I don't really think we can, you know, hang him out to dry because he wasn't entirely sure who Lorraine uh, I was. Mean, I mean,
3: I agree, particularly as during that interview, he appeared to suggest that he should be congratulated for an old woman having to spend her whole day on a bus.
2: On a bus, yes. Indeed, to, yeah. to, to mm.
3: That was more the takeaway for me rather than the fact indeed. that he didn't know who Lorraine Kelly was. If indeed Lorraine Kelly knows who Lorraine Kelly is, because <laughs> Lorraine Kelly is playing the part of Lorraine Kelly, according to uh, according to a tax judgment.
2: A quick uh, catch-up on last week when we looked at the <laughs> – just a very quick uh, passing note here. On the, We're looking at the opening days of the new television station, Talk TV.
3: I mean, the things and, you make me do for this podcast, Terrence. Well, <laughs> yeah, in,
2: in, exactly. Neither of us were terribly impressed and we didn't no. see much cause for optimism. Well, it's only taken a week for the viewing figures to show. We weren't far wrong.
0: Mm. Bear
2: in mind on the opening night there was the novelty factor and that they had President Trump interviewed by Piers Morgan. Yes, so, Here's some stats. News Desk with Tom Newton Dunn on launch night. Viewing figures, 54,200.
3: Oh, that's, that's, that is. I think more people watch my ick than
2: watch. (laughs) (laughs) One week later, 3,600. Oh, wow. 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 54,000 on opening night. Last Monday, 3,600. Piers Morgan opening night, 316,000. This week, 61,700. But here's mm. the here's the killer stat. Sharon Osborne's the tour. <laughs> uh On the first night, forty three thousand nine hundred down to six thousand this Monday. Ouch. It's, it's- I think, I think that would be really alarming for both managers, management and advertisers. I mean, what's the point in placing how, a I, TV commercial for it to be seen by 3,000 people? That is whatever?
3: that is crazy, yeah. isn't it? I isn't mean, it the fact just? of the matter is, is that those figures are really low anyway, to start off with. To yeah. be starting from a base of 54,000 for an interview with Donald Trump as well. It also goes to show how that stock in that particular sort of yes. circus had fallen as well, that that could only draw 54,000 people. But
2: Oh, yeah. You know, it's
3: it's this is completely unviable, isn't it? I mean how is it how is it gonna
2: continue as you say? hard to What's see, hard to see unless someone with deep pockets is gonna fund it uh, for a long time, i.e. the Murdoch family.
3: Yeah, and um, why and why would they why, you why know, would what, you, yeah. Uh, what guarantee uh, is there that it's gonna get any better?
2: Something that passed me by completely during lockdown was Mm. the buzz around the Netflix TV series called My Agent, um, Mm. a comedy drama based around a talent agency located in Paris. Mm. It was very successful around the world and won an Emmy in 2021. And this prompted the commissioning of an English uh, version, also set in a talent agency called Nightingale Heart in London's theatre section the lead writer and director is john morton who many will re- remember wrote 2012 and w1a yeah. so there we are jules a very good pedigree behind it but did it lead uh, live up to expectations
3: well firstly I have to be clear that I haven't I've aware like I'm aware a like, lot of the buzz around 10 uh, mm. yes. percent if we if I want to utilize my French Duolingo skills Very um good. as, as I tell, I hope the I hope the owl is happy with me but anyway um the uh, sure. the the um so I haven't actually seen it so I can't read really, it might have been useful to to try to see it but I just had a week where I can't but I I, I so I was aware of the buzz around it and it was very much the sort of thing that i would like to watch and everyone i know that has seen it who likes the same sort of things that i do said that the french original was really great now so i was watching the english one not on the basis of a comparison but just in its own right yeah. and i have to say i really really enjoyed it i thought it was great it's had quite a lot of um mixed reviews and a lot of people just comparing it unfavorably to the french version and the french version is quite glamorous i think and quite chic and quite fun what I really liked about this, and we watched the first episode, yeah. is is there's a little bit of an uh, there's a there's a British wryness to it that I really like, and it is very much a John Morton. It's perhaps a bit throthier than um than you know 2012 or things like that. It's a bit maybe lighter, but there's a lovely undercurrent of slight yes. melancholy to this yes. that I I really like. I think it's really there is a sort of a surprising depth to it in places. It's, I thought the acting was fantastic. All of the casting was really great. And of course the conceit of this, which is similar to, to, to these person is that there is, as that you have a sort of quite famous actors and actresses, um, actors in general playing um, themselves or rather heightened versions of themselves. And there's a different one in each episode. So in the one that we watched, um, the whole storyline centers around Kelly MacDonald, possibly being offered a role in something and she thinks she's been offered it but there is a question mark over her age and it is that we had this very surreal speaking of Lorraine we had this very <laughs> surreal sort of situation where the, the the Kelly Macdonald playing Kelly Macdonald goes on to the Lorraine Kelly show to talk about it which presumably is Lorraine Kelly playing Lorraine Kelly playing Lorraine Kelly if given the, the tax case. um So she goes on to, to talk about it having been told beforehand that she's not in fact a allowed to talk about it and there is this excruciating three minutes of her uh, not really answering any questions to a slightly bemused Lorraine Kelly before the uh the, the staff of the agency who are watching it on tv rather cleverly then turn the tv off and coincidentally or, or rather incidentally um Kelly MacDonald and and one of one of the other actors from uh a, Ten percent went on the Lorraine show in real life to talk about <laughs> the fact that she'd been on Lorraine. So you had Kelly MacDonald and Lorraine on Lorraine, talking, uh, showing a clip from Kelly MacDonald came playing Kelly MacDonald on Lorraine with Lorraine playing Lorraine playing Lorraine. So it was quite a, it was quite a, that was that was quite a neat sort of thing. I admired Kelly MacDonald in this. It was a, di- it was it was potentially quite a difficult storyline to do because without sort of spoiling anything, they'd come to debate over whether or not she should have cosmetic surgery and that's quite a big deal I think for for someone to be portraying themselves doing a storyline about that so I thought that was very good I there were lots of fun storylines in this there was a bit of a revelation at the end which follows the storyline of the original French series which I won't say what it is in case we want to watch it but it's it's it's, there is something about it, this, that, that had a depth to it that I really liked. And the way that some of the storylines are going to go, particularly surrounding Jack Davenport's character, are, are I think, really interesting. So, so I, I thought this was, it was a lot of fun in many ways. But there was more of a sort of a melancholy to this than I'd expected. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done.
2: I enjoyed the opening episode so much that I binge watched the entire series (laughs) of eight episodes over a couple of days earlier in the week. A superb like comedy drama acting, as you say, with perfect casting and the interplay between the characters is is magnificent. Beautifully filmed with Nightingale being based in Rasbone Place, just north of Oxford Street. Of course, this gave plenty of opportunity for location shots all around Soho. Um, I mentioned the casting. I thought Tim McInerney is outstanding in his portrayal oh, as the that, troubled that. Simon Gould.
3: Yes, that, that magnificent storyline, which really does bring out the melancholy of this kind of down on his luck actor who is who is sort of struggling along. I thought that was beautiful, actually, yes. some of that.
2: Jack Davenport, as you say, Maggie Steed, Prasanna Puanaraja, all superb. Um, and then throughout, we have cameos, as you say, from the major stars, all of whom proved to be good sports yeah. in sending themselves up. I'm going to give a special mention for David Harewood in episode eight, as he turns up with the, one of the great performances of the year. Absolutely Oh wow!
3: I look forward to watching that. And and it, there's been a bit of a Rather rude criticism in one particular Mm. publication that you know that the stars in the British version are not as big as the stars in in the French version. They were particularly rude about Kelly Macdonald, which I thought was a bit uncalled for. But um, I think that the people in it are. I mean, the idea that you've got Helena Bonham Carter and Olivia Williams having accidentally both been offered the same role and them saying, "Oh, this always happens," um, I I I think it's I think it's really great. I think there's some great people in this, and it works really well for the environment that it is, which is British.
2: I think, like you, um, having not seen the French version mm. was probably helpful because I had mm, nothing mm. to compare it to or kept thinking. I you know, wasn't thinking, oh, they didn't do that in the French version. So um, I, I think it's probably a bonus, in fact, not to have seen the original. Um, mm. 10% therefore highly recommended. It's on Amazon Prime in the UK and some other regions, but very complicated. It, it's on Sundance now, AMC Plus and BBC America in the United States. States. All right, there are various options wherever you're listening, one hopes. Exactly. Uh, Coming next, the Sex Pistols try to cash in on the Queen's Jubilee again, (laughs) and Brian Ferry publishes a book of his lyrics. Uh, That's right after The Beach Boys.
3: I love this i just think it's such a such a, a beautiful vibe it's it's always makes me feel calm listening to this no matter what's going on there's such a a, a, a pure joy to this i find it such an endlessly comforting record i i I'm a, again it emanates from the first lockdown for me but it's it's such a mm. such a beautiful song the beach boys um taken from shutdown volume two uh, which was released in in uh 1964 um it's uh brian Wilson's lead vocal on this i think is one of his best ever uh probably one of my favorites i would say uh, we had it over here in the uk as the b-side of I get around and that is don't worry baby by the beach boys
2: I was eight when that was released, and I remember thinking, how lovely to have someone to tell you not to worry about. Yes,
3: exactly. But, this is why I, I reached for it during the first lockdown, I think.
2: I, I, I know this is a little um, fascination probably to the rest of the world, but after nearly 60 years, a revelation for me um, hmm. earlier on, bearing in mind in 1964 that there was no way of checking lyrics. And for 58 oh, years, I thought it was Baby When You Race Tuesday, <laughs> but earlier, I looked at the lyrics for the first time ever, and it's "Baby, when you race today." And I've been oh. singing along the wrong words for nearly sixty years, baby. When I mean, you it doesn't.
3: It doesn't make much. It doesn't make much more sense in your defence. I must admit. Yeah. My, my, uh, apparently, when you mishear a lyric, it's called a mondegreen. Uh, I learned this very recently. There's a term for this. My Mondegreen recently was we were I was listening and I, I can't remember if I brought this to the podcast or not. But I was listening to Don't Call Me Up by Mabel fairly recently, which I'm a right. very big fan of. And she sings in the in the sort of pre-chorus bit um, that left scars. Ooh, I'm over you. It turns out she's singing that, and not that Leicester Zoo. I'm over you, which <laughs> I thought she was singing for some time. And a friend of mine, a friend of mine pointed out to me, um, it's not even called Leicester Zoo. It's called Twy Cross Zoo, um, which didn't do much to comfort okay. me. In which she then said, "I hope you're not Twy Cross about it." It's very wow. nice to have these people in my life. But anyway, so you are not alone in no, your experience. No, clearly
2: not. <laughs> Um, It's almost certainly fair to say that the fame of the Sex Pistols owes just about everything to Freddie Mercury suffering suffering from toothache. Mm. Because on the 1st of December 1976, Queen were due to appear on the Today TV show with Mm. Bill Grundy to promote their new album, A Day at the Races. But Freddie Mercury had to go to the dentist. So EMI not wishing to lose the promotional opportunity sent along the Sex Pistols instead to promote their newly released single Anarchy in the UK and the rest as the cliche goes is history Mm. Um, though it's. Worth remembering that this did not start a cultural revolution, and a key only made it to number thirty-eight in the, in the and that, top that, And
3: that is never ever remembered. And yes. that is a
2: really important. Yes. Six months later, the Sex Pistols released "God Save the Queen" on Virgin Records, their third record label in six months, mm. which for then um, it, it happily coincided for them with the, uh, Her Majesty the Queen's Silver Jubilee. Now, later this month, 45 years on, God Save the Queen will be reissued to coincide with the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. In 1977, Jules, God Save the Queen made it to number two on the UK charts. Do you think it'll get to number one this year? But perhaps more importantly... Does anyone care?
3: I mean, that is the the the, the six million dollar question, isn't it? Really? I just oh goodness me, I I'm inclined to agree. With you. By the way, just before I jump into that, yeah. I've just been uh, uh, people suffering from toothache causing changing the course of history. Is it amazing? Uh, it's, yes. Well, I have a I have a in, in the quizzing world in which I play. Sometimes when we play in leagues and you play in tournaments, you have questions that are paired. So there's two halves right. of a match, and there's two uh, there's two sort of two questions themed on the same thing. And so in this instance, instance, the pair to to your Freddie Mercury suffering toothache would be that, um, and this is referenced in the film The History Boys by Alan Bennett, Um, when it became obvious that Neville Chamberlain was not going to continue as prime minister. there was a, a debate over who would become Prime Minister um after him, and the two front runners were Winston Churchill and lord Halifax. and The general feeling was that that it would probably be Halifax that was genuinely the the, the energy that was that was going in that direction um Lord Halifax, there was one sort of final day which they had to sort of court and, court MPs and, and talk to people before they voted. Uh, Lord Halifax had to go to the dentist that afternoon, so he was not around to talk to people, and Winston Churchill was. As a result of which, Winston Churchill won the, won the vote amongst the, the, the Tory <laughs> members and became Prime Minister. And as the character remarks in the History Boys, if Lord Halifax had had better teeth, Britain might have lost the war. So that is your, that is your pair of, of toothache and bad teeth changing the course of history but i will now answer the question that you asked me so sorry to wander off on that oh, um i have to be honest terence and say that when because i subscribe to various um yeah. record shop emailers which is a surprise to no one i'm sure no. so i said so particularly one of my 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 sort of one of my local new vinyl record shops which is um resident in brighton which is excellent and kept me going through lockdown well done everybody there but um i I've got a, I get you know sort of regular emails from them. They're very good. They yeah. they almost are drug dealers. They're very good at targeting and pushing things yeah. to you. And that showed me the limited edition seven inch re release of God Save the Queen on blue vinyl. And right. it was how much do you think it was for seven inches? Oh inch?
2: no, I, I mean I'm going to say five ninety nine, but it, I'm, it was
3: it was 15 pounds so that is how yes. mu- it isn't it it's absolutely ludicrous and yet i was still slightly tempted terence because i well, know this is the way please. they get it, you isn't it exactly yeah. exactly but anyway and that's not to be fair i'm not blaming resident for that can i make that clear i think that the probably given the given the i've seen lists of how much you have to pay for the stock of these things and yeah. i think the martin on that was pretty thin and and that seems to be what the market is charging generally so i don't want to be singling residents out on that but um really. i agree with you does anyone really care um all is it all it's going to be particularly if you price the vinyl edition at 15 quid is this gen- just going to be retired without without wishing to to, to ding you personally to t- uh retired punks living in surrey is Absolutely, it this is going to yeah. be, this be yeah. those people that are buying it aren't they do you mm. do what is the point in this is it just is it the sort of pantomime nostalgia that punk was meant to be against just just coming back again i i yeah I, I mean i i still really like the song i can't say i don't like the song because i really mm. do and and you know at the time it was as you say perhaps a cultural moment today the fact that it only reached 38 in the charts makes me think is this like aspects of the 60s where people that wish they'd been there or people exactly. that wish they'd been more engaged are rewriting it to be, be something bigger than it actually was i i wonder if that is what is happening here um and also you know as someone pointed out when i was talking to someone else about punk generally the other day yes you know nice to have a a new once again re-released very much regurgitated old single from britain's premier butterflogger um donny yeah. rotten so so there is I don't know. I I I just I just think this is just tired, really, and it's and it's not really. Is it going to get to number one? Who knows? But then we've had sort of protest campaigns, yeah. Previously in the last in the last sort of a couple of decades regarding. Um, you know people getting things to number 1 because they don't want x factor singles to get there so we had killing in the name of the yes. excreted laden tune by uh by um uh, a machine or um as it's known in my household mm, you I won't tidy my room because it really was the anthem of uh, <laughs> of teenage yes. descent. but um that got to number 1 did it? Does anyone remember that now? Probably not very much, I would say. Did it have a huge cultural impact? No, it was a drive-by pot shot. And this, even if it did get to number one, wouldn't really feel much more than a drive-by pot shot, really. It feels like Britain has returned to the seventies in many, many ways. But I'm not, I'm not sure what, if anything, this is going to achieve.
2: If people buy this just to try and ruin the birthday of a 96 year old woman, mm. then I think they need a long, hard look at themselves. But, um. 45 years on from 1977, I don't think there's any doubt that the Queen looks better in 2022 than any surviving sex pistol. I would Um, say so, yes. And she probably sings better than Johnny Rotten, too. But (laughs) uh, back in uh, 77, it was largely scammed up, outrage to help towards lining the pockets of Malcolm McLaren. And -hmm. I think it's tedious to try and uh, recreate any sense of drama out of that now. Later this month, the estate of George Michael are publishing a book called Words, which is pretty much what Mm. you might think it is, a book of lyrics featuring every song written by George that recorded solo or with Wham. And um, Mm. this idea of publishing books filled with lyrics is gaining momentum. Kate Bush published a book of lyrics in 2018 and others to do have done so in recent years, Jarvis Cocker, Van Morrison, Billy Bragg, Neil Tennant. And we probably all remember the to-do last year when Paul McCartney published the lyrics. Yes. Uh, that featured stories behind the songs Helped perhaps hmm. a little too keenly by the poet Paul Muldoon. Who, <laughs> who's the latest on this production line? Well, step forward, Brian Ferry. Unadventurously, his book is called Lyrics and features 149 songs. Jules, in a world where anyone can look up song lyrics in a second uh, through Google, why is there this sudden need to publish them in expensive books?
3: Well, Once again, you know, ruthlessly exploiting a very narrow market. Uh, This is not dissimilar to the Sex Pistols thing. Having said that... I I am not averse to some of these. I had a book, depending on how they depending how they're presented. I had a book of Beatles lyrics when mm. I was younger, and I've still got it around somewhere, I think, which was illustrated and had some very it's it's it had a purple cover if I remember correctly, and I suspect that the, the, I think it was it was quite a popular one, and it had beautiful psychedelic illustrations, and I very much used to enjoy reading it when I was younger. So so I'm not averse to the idea of having lyrics, and certainly uh, once again I think when we've talked about this previously I, I, my view remains it very much depends on who the artist is and what the and you know what what whether or not there is depth to their lyrics um i you know I, obviously i would love to i would love to see um mabel's leicester zoo as i call it in print that would be very nice indeed but um the, i i'm not entirely sure how much um you know how much depth there is to Roxy Music's lyrics. I they don't necessarily strike me instantly. As as the, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'm not. Um, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm just not. Um, not not, a, I'm not. I'm not a fan. But maybe I just don't know enough about them. I'm not sure. But there are certain artists that like Joni Mitchell, like Kate Bush, who instantly you would think of and say, and Paul McCartney, of course. Oh yes, those lyrics are quite you know they're almost like poems in a way but I, I there is an element of bandwagon to this that makes me think yeah. you know is is there you know, it, it, I think you have to be very specific. And Patty Smith, you know, I've I've got books of her stuff and it's great. But, you know, it's it, it, it quite often, interestingly, and I think there's a bit of a crossover of, of, of maybe elements of what we've discussed before, that often the people that write good lyrics are the people that write good books. So PJ Harvey's book that is coming, that's just come out, the, the, the Orland Poetry book, um the sort of the, the, the long narrative poem, um you know, people like Bob Dylan, perhaps, you know, it's the people that are, write beautiful lyrics go on to write quite you know often go on to write poetry because they are in themselves quite poetic but i think that not some artists might deserve the big volume treatment to have their to have their words enjoyed more than others i
2: think Yes, I mean, it's not for me to judge the literary quality of Brian Ferry's lyrics either. But mm. so very few songs generally work as a form of poetry written on a page yes, in true. a book without the context of the music joined with them. And mm. I, I have this, um, I have a feeling that most of these books are published. Yeah, to create more income streams for the artists rather than being an overwhelming demand behind it. And most artists at the level of Ferry and, I don't know, say Van Morrison, mm. have enough super fans who will want to be completists and own everything. And... um you know, here's another route to get twenty quid each from those dedicated fans. I well, know.
3: quite, um, or more than that, I would suspect, if yeah. if you have these sort of deluxe editions, yeah, and right. may, maybe that, maybe what they're doing is a sort of a cynical market calculation, in that if you have a truly expensive version that is limited edition and by limited edition i only mean like several hundred if that maybe that is a way of making a quick buck because you can probably guarantee that there is enough of a dedicated obsessive audience to be able to sell out of
2: that run and then you can say you've sold out of the run can't you yeah I guess so personally I don't feel the need to have a book including the lyrics to Virginia Plainum and, and et al but if you're interested lyrics by Brian Ferry is published by Chateau and Windus at 20 quid hmm. coming right up have we all become barbarians <laughs> behaviour at gigs is next that's right after Mama's Gun
4: life has a funny way of pulling i surprised
2: Could easily be the stylistics or the Delphonics, um, don't you think? Instead, it's the sumptuous mm. lead track from a new album in 2022 featuring the luxurious, uh, luxuriously soulful voice of Andy Platts from the album Cure the Jones, Mama's Garden and When You Stole the Sun from the Sky.
3: That was really lovely. Really loved that. New to me, but brilliant. Such a delightful voice, as you say.
2: He really does have the voice. Uh, Human beings, we're told, we're, we're an odd lot. Mm. We like to think we have individuality, but also we we like our fellow humans to conform to certain ways of doing things or certain behavior patterns in Mm. given situations. I'll give you an example. Nobody, as far as I know, has ever written rules about how to behave in lifts or elevators. Mm. Yet we all tend to do the same thing, get in and keep as still and quiet as possible, staring at the middle distance or the floor. Don't make eye contact the very last thing any of us wants is someone marching in invading our personal space. And and of course, God forbid, starting a conversation and equally, equally, when we go to the theater or a gig or the cinema, unspoken rules have been in place for years, perhaps centuries, I suppose. Mm. There's an invisible fourth wall between whoever is on stage and us, the audience, nobody from the crowd is expected to pop on up on stage. Um, no actor is expected to stop performing to nip down and have a quick chat with the audience earlier this week an example of a growing trend dave chappelle was doing a comedy gig at the hollywood hollywood bowl when some bloke carrying a replica handgun worryingly uh, jumped on stage and attacked chappelle who was largely unhurt Mm. unlike the assailant who got leapt upon and was forcefully dealt with, in, including a dislocated arm. Jules, this is a worrying trend. Is it the pandemic? Is it the Will Smith incident? Are we moving into an era where venues are going to have to construct fencing across the front of the stage?
3: Well, it's very worrying, this. It's, it's very it's very unpleasant, this, although I have to say I was rather uh, disappointed. It must have been very frightening for Dave Chappelle, and I'm really mm-hmm. sorry. Smith. Having said this, he then got straight back on stage and joked that his attacker was a trans man in 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 okay. reference to yes and you yeah. just think in reference to the problems you know he's he's obviously experienced over his outspoken views on that sort of thing and I just found that really disappointing. I just yeah. thought for goodness sake was there any anyway, that aside, I it's it we're certainly getting a lot of reports of this. Now I in the past have actually invaded stages myself, Seti. Having said this, I invaded stages on both occasions at a Bell and Sebastian concert. And yep. The band... The band actually invited, and ah. in, in one particular case, Stuart Murdoch fairly insistent that people invade the stage, which oh, was So, so yes, it was. It's always, and it's a part of their show. It's always joined during, during Boy with it's the. It's
2: I had this memory of, of, of photographs of you of you on stage, and I thought, well, you're a fine one to talk, but well, I quite. see there is a difference. Yes,
3: the the bands invite invite people on, and there's usually about forty or fifty people that go on, and it's just a bit of a party on stage, really, and ah. it is lovely. It's it's a lot of fun. It's part of Ben and Sebastian's stage it's always during the same song it's always during boy with the arrow strap so it's become like a sort of a thing so so i feel i am in a position to be able to comment on this so um, so there's a particularly interesting article which i think is linked to this article in the guardian about the dave chapelle incident by danny johns who's a comedian who, who says the and this is in this context of stand-up comedy he says it's no joke since lockdown live audiences have forgotten how to behave from chatting through the show to manhandling the acts bad behaviour at comedy shows has got noticeably worse. There are some fairly dreadful sort of anecdotes in this about, um, well, the opening paragraph, let me tell you this. Um, do you consider yourself a well-adjusted functioning adult who enjoys a night of light entertainment? Or are you the tour type of person who turns up to a comedy gig four more becks Deep and decides to have a, fr- a to sit in the front row to have an in-depth chat with your mate about how bad your boss's BO is? Maybe you don't like waiting for a break. Instead, maybe you'd rather stand up and loudly announce you'd need a wee, making the entire row stand up as you squeeze by, vigorously scratching your backside. At the end of a show, do you use your hand to throw popcorn across the room rather than smacking them together to make a pleasant clapping sound so i'll be honest if you're reading this then you're probably not one of those people um basically it sounds like there is people just seem to have um um various comics are basically saying that that people are are just forgotten sort of how to behave and how to take something in there have been other um There have been other sort of incidents of Sophie Ellis Baxter having to tell rowdy audience members to pipe down so everyone else can hear the gig. Beverly Knight, um, the hero that is Beverly Knight, tweeted um, she's appearing in, in a musical, The Drifter's Girl. And she said, Beverly Knight tweeted about a particularly calling incident. If your intention is to come to the theatre, get rat-arsed, make a scene, disrupt the show, my advice is to stay your ass at home. So, yeah. so that is well done, the Beverly Knight, for saying that. Although, weirdly... So so much like everything that we've experienced during the pandemic and people's behaviour, we seem to have gone to extremes again. So people either turn up to gigs, and have no idea how to behave at all and just think they can do what they want and maybe we've all got so used to watching tv or films or netflix during lockdown that we just think that the action is happening in front of us regardless and we can just do what we would do at home i don't know if it's that maybe i'm not sure the other end is that audiences are wildly receptive and i mean like like the last few gigs i've been to music gigs People have the artists have been rapturously received by people, like sort of almost to the point where people are just drunk on the idea that they can go out and experience these things again. We spoke as three weeks ago about me going to see Goldfrapp and oh, how yes, by and large yes. the audience was completely silenced apart from the crash of the unfortunate lady who passed out, oh, but at um, the back of the room. Mm. But the fact that it was such a large crash because everyone was so sort of engaged and reports at the same venue, people that went to see Sparks the next week said that they were. Enormously well received. That you know the chanting of Ron's name. You know it was really sort of in, an incredible thing. And I uh, DJ as people that listen to the podcast know I did that as a hobby. And I did a leaving party for somebody on Friday evening, and I was just told, "Look, can you do nine till twelve? We just want to dance. We just want you know dancing. That's all. We, that's all we really want. Do what you want. We we've seen you before. We know the kind of stuff you play. We just want dancing." Um, people danced throughout. I mean, they were admittedly a bit less dancing in some places, but people were just really really happy to be there and I only have one person make a request which unfortunately I didn't have but, but I played something similar but he was very good natured about it and it would seem so it's weird there seems to be a sort of a dual thing going on here audiences are either more entitled than ever and more um, you know or, or perhaps a, min- a vocal minority literally of people are more disrupted than ever but on the other end of the scale people, audiences seem to be either, you know, entitled and not realise you know that they Why well, say what their role is as an audience member they don't necessarily have a role as an audience member you're just there to sort of enjoy the yeah. show oh, it's, 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 a, it? it's,
2: it's a good. troubling trend but uh, mm-hmm. of course not all stage invasions are life-threatening i mean we had a jarvis cocker at the 1996 yes. brit awards didn't we interrupting michael jackson's performance of himself as the messiah and um we have we've had Kanye bursting on stage and stealing Taylor Swift's uh, moment at the MTV Awards. And yes. And um, my favourite, Calvin Harris, running on stage with a pineapple when Jedward <laughs> were on X Factor. Yes, uh, that
3: was extremely strange.
2: Yeah. So th- there's, as you say, there are degrees. Uh, thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you along. Very much agree. Yes, thank you for being with us. If anyone wants to hear two hours of smooth rock for your yacht music, (laughs) um, you, you can offer quite the solution.
3: I can. Yacht Rock, you don't stop with me on uh, on Sunday evenings on Noise Box Radio, noiseboxradio.com. Um, you can listen to me doing smooth sailing from 7 to 9 pm. Yacht Rock, as Terrence rightly identifies, easy listening, classic pop, stuff that is uh, relaxing but also uplifting. And if you miss shows, um, if you go onto Noise Box Radio's Mixed Cloud channel, you can find them on there.
2: A really wonderful track of hypnotic rhythm to play us out.
3: Yes, and I, again, being targeted by various record shops continues to, pay, to, to bear fruit for the people targeting me. And um, Tony Allen, who sadly passed away. I think, I can't remember if it was, it was last year, possibly, or maybe the year before. It's certainly within, within the last couple of years, yeah. a, a, a truly brilliant musician, an inspirational drummer. One of my favourite drummers, I would say. Um, and I was introduced to this particular track by The Word magazine. Um, it was on one of their samplers, I think, the, the, their excellent um, Now Hear This CDs. And I loved this from the minute I first heard it. I just thought it was It was incredible. And I was I was um, targeted by this this, this the one of the record shops because they, uh, this is uh, um, an, an-, an anniversary of this album. It's being re released on vinyl. It's worth um, silly amounts of money the original, and really? so I will probably be picking up. It originally came out in uh, 2009 um, on Nonsuch, so it will be being re-released shortly. Um, I will absolutely be buying a copy on nice I suspect, because I love this. This is uh, the title track of the album, Tony a- Tony Allen rather, and Secret Agent.
5: See that they